This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a good one out there. Got a little snow here. That's not so bad, though. Kind of looks uh, looks nice out there right now. Enjoying a little bit of that um, on, on a Friday. Got Mark Craig coming up on the show here in just a little while to talk NFL picks and to talk Vikings. Uh, Mark's been doing this for a long time, has seen a lot of different you know coaching searches, has seen how the league plays out, and I got his perspectives on kind of what direction he thinks the Vikings will go, and got his thoughts on you know what he thought Monday when the Vikings did make the moves to fire Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. So good conversation with Mark Craig. That'll be in just a little while here. Some good uh, Minnesota hockey news um, in a co- on a couple different fronts, and I think we need to talk a little Vikings free agency too. Yeah, some big decisions for the uh, new general manager and head coach whenever those two are hired. But first, what did I miss? Timberwolves played the Grizzlies on uh, on Thursday night, lost 116-108. to Grizzlies been one of the hottest teams in the NBA since right around Thanksgiving. I think they're 21-4 and since then. They had been struggling. John Morant got hurt, and then all of a sudden they took off. John Morant is back. They're still rolling um and it just the, the game um kind of underscored a few things that are, that will be nicely hopefully nicely tied together here one you know Memphis's roster is an interesting mix of young and you know established role players you know one of the reasons they are in the position they're in right now is you know, three of their best players are still on their young rookie deals. Talking about John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson. Um, you know, Jaron Jackson starts to get more expensive next season when a, an extension kicks in, but John Morant and Desmond Bain still cost controlled for a few more years here. So you look at Memphis, they've got it, they're in a pretty enviable position right now. They have the 29th highest payroll in the league right now, according to Hoops Hype. But they are looking like they are one of the top teams in the West right now because of that kind of sweet spot of role players and emerging young talent. The Wolves kind of in that same position. The difference with them right now is that, you know, of their three best players, two of them are very highly paid right now because they are on those second contracts Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell making a neighborhood of $30 million apiece this year, pushing the Wolves' payroll much higher than Memphis's this year. M- Wolves more middle of the pack, a good $20 million more than Memphis this season in large part because of that. And a lot of their role players right now are younger players uh, who they are leaning on to, uh, to to fill key minutes, guys like Naz Reed, guys like uh, Jaden McDaniels, uh, before he got hurt, Jalen Noel, um, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, guys like that, they are con- they are counting on to kind of fill out the roster. Memphis doing it kind of the other way, and that's probably the preferable way to do it, right? You want your, if you have your best players not taking up a huge part of your cap, then you can build a better foundation around them a little more easily. And I think that's what we saw in the game on Thursday night. The Wolves just the big three were great. Um, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell all played really well. All, I think they combined for more than 80 points in the game, but that still wasn't enough in this case because the Wolves just did not get enough from their supporting cast in that game. And sometimes it's different. You know, sometimes the Wolves do get 
enough from them, but you know, it kind of shows how top heavy their roster can be, especially when they play some of these better teams. Uh, Memphis getting contributions all up and down the lineup in that game. You know, Morant, Jackson, and Bain were their three leading scorers, but they combined for 57 points. Two other players in double figures, seven total players aside from those big three had at least five points. Wolves had one other player outside their big three. Jared Vanderbilt had at least five points in that game. Wolves were kind of in, I wouldn't say in control of that game, but they were up seven at halftime. They were kind of in good shape, and then Memphis just kind of wore them down and took over in the second half, especially that third quarter where Memphis outscored Minnesota 37-24. to So if you're talking about how the Wolves can get to be where Memphis is now, 30-14 and 14, as opposed to 20-22, and 22, um, it is going to be those role players, but it's going to be difficult because of how much cap space is taken up by Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know the game itself. I think the Wolves are getting close. They 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 played they played well. You know, no shame losing at Memphis again. Memphis one of the hottest teams, but just kind of speaks to how much better can this get? And that speaks to uh, Chris Hines' story from uh, Friday's paper, FridayStartToBe.com, talking to Sasha Gupta, uh, who's in charge of personnel right now in the wake of Gerson Rosas being fired right before the season started. Talking about the Wolves being buyers more than sellers at the trade deadline, that feels appropriate. I mean, they're in the mix certainly for a play-in spot and maybe even perhaps for a top six spot in the West if things turn a certain way. If they, you know, were thinking they were going to be more seller mode, thinking about you know the future a little bit more, guys like Patrick Beverly could be you know guys that they would want to move. But a guy like Patrick Beverly is going to be very important down the stretch. So. If you're a Wolves fan, good to hear from them that uh, that they're thinking about adding to the roster, not subtracting from it. That said, um, again, tricky because they're pressed right up against that salary cap, right up against the luxury tax threshold. What can they really do to you know to to make a not just a short-sighted move, but a a long-term move that's going to help now and into the future? you know, without kind of wrecking any flexibility they might want to have down the road. So tricky proposition for Sasha and Gupta and the Wolves to try to add to this roster in any kind of meaningful way. And I guess that gets to my final point on all this, which is, you know, the Wolves did have this kind of young player setup. And that brings me to a question from uh, a, a listener that came in about a couple days ago, Nick Hansen said, I know Viking stock is going to take a lot of oxygen this week, but oxygen this week, but would love to have some Wolves what-ifs. I know this ground has been tread a lot before, and some of it is a moot point with Jimmy Butler long gone and D'Angelo Russell finally showing some potential. Thought it was worth a relook after I, a relook after I listened to No Dunks the other day. That's the podcast with J.E. Skeets. He was on the podcast here a couple months ago, and a lot of those other um, Skeets buddies that are so uh, so good at the basketball podcasting said they were discussing all-star picks. Both Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine, as well as Carl Anthony Towns, were in the mix for selections. Nick wants to know, would Wiggins have worked under Finch? What would a big three or big four of Towns, Wiggins, Levine, and Edwards have looked like? Food for thought. Keep up the good work. Nick. Thanks, Nick, for the kind words and the question. Um, you know, that is a big what if because we never really fully got to see what might have happened with a, you know, with, with Towns, Wiggins, and Levine had they been allowed to get 
a little bit older. I mean, you'll, rem- you'll remember that they improved from 16 wins in, rook- in Wiggins' rookie season to 29 wins the next year when Towns was a rookie. Wiggins and Levine, second-year players that year. Tom Thibodeau comes in in 2016-17. They're 19-31 and 31 when Zach Levine tears his ACL kind of in a middle to the towards the end of that season. Of course, Levine is traded in the offseason as part of the Jimmy Butler trade. Wolves win 47 games the next year, but everything falls apart not long after that. So the question is, if they had kept that core together, what might have happened? Um, the Edwards what-if in that we probably need to erase because I think that team would have been good enough, certainly, that they would not have been in a position to draft Anthony Edwards, and that would have been a roster redundancy to a certain point anyway with Levine and Wiggins already on the roster as you're starting wings. Um, Would Wiggins have fit here under Finch? Maybe better than he did in other systems. I think that's fair to say, Um, but I think that the Russell stuff this year maybe eases some of that question a little bit. Levine taking off has certainly been a big deal. You know, he's having a great year with Chicago. Chicago looks like they're turning a corner to a certain degree. We'll see how that plays out in the second half of the year. But Levine always felt to me like the big what if. And I I lobbied that they should be trading Wiggins, not Levine, in that Butler deal. And Wiggins, you know, Levine tearing his ACL complicated things a lot because Chicago was in a rebuild. They could afford to do that. The Wolves didn't want to give up a player that could help them after they added Butler. But it always felt like Levine had a bigger upside than Wiggins did. So I think long story short is it would have been fun to see how that group got better together, but I also don't know if they would have been good enough to justify the salaries that they would have commanded not too long after that because, you know, had they played that out and, you know, kept Levine, kept Wiggins, kept everybody intact, you know, Levine and Wiggins would have been eligible for extensions around the same time. Would that have been a big three that you were willing to pay big money to starting, you know, not too long after that third season of Wiggins and Levine. So I think ultimately it played out fine for the Wolves, certainly played out well for the Bulls at this point. And as you know, Wiggins is having a a good, solid season uh, with, with, uh, with the Warriors, I think some of uh, some of that is uh, a little bit overhyped and overinflated, but he has certainly found a good role with them. Doesn't have to be the superstar there, obviously. So a good a good what if, but also a reminder that, you know, these things don't exist in the vacuum. You'd have to pay all those guys. And would that have been worth it with that core? I don't think so. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms and join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to welcome Mark Craig on the show now. Mark's been a weekly guest most Fridays talking NFL picks, and I want to get his thoughts as well on everything that's happened Vikings this week. Mark, how you doing? Doing well. I'm surprised you're having me back on after I I guaranteed a lot that the Colts would beat the Jaguars, the easiest, I said, the easiest play-in game in the history of the NFL playoffs, and uh, they uh, made me look like an idiot. Well, and they didn't uh, didn't exactly sit well with Colts brass. I don't know if you saw the quote today from, was it their their GM? Is it Chris Ballard, their GM, saying basically talking about Carson Wentz and didn't have a lot of uh, good things to say about his future with the team. 
Yeah, I mean, who'd have thought that uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, they'd be that the Eagles would have made the playoffs the first year that this happened, and that the uh, Colts with that great running game would be the ones on the outside. It's a, uh, you know, that's the the most disappointing season right there is uh, probably the Colts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the most disappointing seasons, I suppose, too, could have been the Vikings, and it certainly seemed that way from the perspective of the Will family making the decision Monday to fire not only um, head coach Mike Zimmer, but general manager Rick Spielman as well. You've been around both of those guys for a long time. What, uh, As you sifted through the news Monday morning, what was your reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I like both guys. Uh, you know, I, I got along with Zimmer, got along with Spielman, but and I think they would even tell you this in all honesty. You know, they had every opportunity. They, they were given, you know, everything necessary to win by the Wilfs, um, especially Spielman, and they just didn't get the job done. You know, it, it, all these all these coaching jobs have to have a certain shelf life, and, and Zimmer probably uh, the fact that he he would make the playoffs and not make the playoffs and you know, back and forth, it kept him here longer than, than, than it had. He just put all those losses at the beginning, but you know, they had their chance and it's time for, it is time for a new voice. And I, I have a strong feeling it's going to be a, a opposite voice in every way imaginable uh, who's coming in here. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, we've, you know, Patrick Royce and I have talked often about the, the rule of opposites that happens a lot in coaching circles and general manager circles, you know, Spielman had been here, for a long time. Zimmer was here for eight years and was more of a, you know, veteran, um, you know, 65 years old now, kind of a, a little bit of an old school mentality, you know, Bill Parcells, one of his mentors, you know, so you can kind of take it from there as you think about not necessarily specific candidates, because we've started to see, you know, a pretty good list of general manager candidates, at least so far emerging. But as you think about the type of person they might eventually hire for both of those jobs, uh, what comes to mind for you? Well, what comes to mind is is a specific person. It's 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 Kellen uh, Kellen Mond. You know, I always want to call him or Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore, uh, not Kellen Mond. That'd be that it, would it be an outside out the box hire. That would be an outside the box. I would just be like a showing up uh, showing up Mike Zimmer hire. <laughs> just kidding. I mean, you're talking about yeah. And this is a, you know, he he's a rising star. He's gonna be. You know, I don't know him personally, so to me, it's like a, you know, we 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 base this on kind of what you know results and and rankings and. Uh, general feelings, but you know, like if I'm the Steelers, I'm sitting there in 2007 and, and Mike Tomlin comes through the door, just our little bit of experience with Mike Tomlin, I could see him blowing him away. I don't know if Kellen, if Kellen uh, Moore has that, but if he does, you know, to me, it's a, he's a guy that's, you know, the Cowboys, not only are they the top ranked in points and yards, but they're balanced. They're, they're uh, creative. Uh, the guy survived a co- coaching change with a, Offensive coach coming in and you know was he's still calling the plays. Uh, I think there's probably something special about this guy. And if it's not him, it's someone like that. It's uh, you know I joke it's going to be someone that uh, you know is the uh, the Lord's prayer starts with uh, with, with Sean McVay. You know, and it's going to be offensive. He's going to be um, you know probably player friendly, media friendly. Uh, and I don't I I think I've heard Roycey a couple times you know allude to that. And I'm 100. percent I mean that just having lived it, even going back to, to growing up with the Browns when they would change coaches, it was always, you know, a Forrest Gregg, uh, you know, this gruff former player to San Martigliano, uh, you know, media darling and the, you know, players coach. And 
uh, than Marty Schottenheimer. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, and we've seen that with the Vikings, you know, how they've done it. So, yeah, I, I would think I'd be shocked if it's a defensive guy. I'd be totally shocked if he's in his 60s or 50s, late 50s. Um, I just feel like, you know, whenever you stick with a voice this long and it doesn't work out, I think you, you are searching for a different voice. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. And it probably also makes sense when you think about where this team is. And, you know, frankly, the defense has probably been the more disappointing side of the ball those last couple of years. And, you know, some of their better, younger um, players are on offense right now, especially if we're talking about a guy like Justin Jefferson, who could be a pretty attractive kind of showpiece for an offensive coach coming in. Um, you know, I think ever once the Vikings made their news on Monday, there's been a couple more openings even since then in the coaching ranks with the Giants and now the Texans, I believe, today uh, on Thursday, the firing their head coach. So that's eight head coaching jobs out there. And I think, you know, we had Ben, ben Gessling talked on Access Vikings Wednesday about how, you know, in a lot of circles, the Vikings job is considered the most attractive one or one of the most attractive openings. Do you see it that way? Do you see like this is a premium destination for you know, a general manager and a coach. Yeah. I I think it all depends on what the person feels about. How do you feel about Kirk Cousins and how do you feel about Kirk Cousins at uh, not only the price he's at now, uh, you know, are you able, I would imagine that he he doesn't go in with a $45 million cap hit that it, that so, but if he doesn't do that, then you're tying himself yourself to him longer. Um, This guy, you know, I always say that, you know, Kirk is not as bad as the people uh, who hate him think you know he is and he's not as good as the people that love him uh he's in the middle you know i you know i've written over the years good cousin stories bad cousin stories because it's, he, he is an up and down player and he played a role in, in these two guys getting you know getting fired i mean they put their they put all their trust in this i'm not saying that he's the reason that they you know they missed the playoffs two years in a row but he's also not the reason that that i mean he didn't save them you know like like a lot of quarterbacks making that kind of money do so it depends on what you think of, of Kirk Cousins. If you if you if you think Trevor Lawrence or you know uh, Justin Fields didn't do himself any favors this year, you know, I think Justin Fields will be a really good player, but he certainly had one had a terrible rookie season. So to me, do you want to go the young, cheap, up and coming quarterback, or do you want to go Kirk Cousins? And so I do believe I will agree with him in that getting the the time to do things, the resources. Uh, facilities, everything that the Wilfs are, are as good as, as any uh, that they're going to find. Now, it's just a matter. A lot of times these guys make their decisions based on the quarterback. And, you know, you can win with Kirk, but can you win big with him? That's a good question. Um, they didn't win big enough this year. 14 teams made the playoffs. 12 of them will be playing this weekend in Super Wild Card Weekend. You picked all of those games, and they're all obviously big now, maybe we can start with Saturday's games, uh, Raiders at Bengals, and I believe the other one is New England and Buffalo. A couple interesting games. Um, I Actually, I think I have a disagreement with you on the first pick, but talk me through Raiders-Bengals as you see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like – there's going to be upsets. I mean, like last year, they're the, on one super, super wild card weekend. we got to make sure we get the super in there. Uh, you know, four of the lower seeds won. I mean, the only te- the only higher seeds that won were the, the twos. So the threes, both threes lost, both fours lost. Uh, now, I don't know that, you know, Brady going to Washington and winning was an upset, but still that the lower teams, you know, lower seeds won. We're going to see that. And I, I see a lot of 
Um, you know, with the, with the Bengals, they played them. Um, and it was... 32-13. Uh, 32-13. Uh, you know, I, I, Vegas, their, their running game has... Their run defense has really improved. They're the, the hottest team coming in. Um, you know, the Bengals... It's that momentum situation as well. Uh, the Bengals, you know, taking the resting last week and and having to come back. Uh, and the Raiders are, you know, had their foot to the floor to get into the playoffs. Now, granted, yeah, the, the yeah the Bengals are, are a talented team. They should win. They're at home, but I just get a sense of their, you know, this is an upset that's, that's probably going to happen. You could certainly be right. I just feel like I don't. I'm not impressed with the Raiders. I think they've overachieved to a large degree even to get to this point. I think the Bengals win this one by a couple touchdowns, but we will see. That's why they play the games, Mark Craig, and the more interesting game probably is Bill's Patriots, two teams that saw each other twice this season recently, both of them winning on the road. You know, hard to pick against Bill Belichick, but, you know, the Bills have a lot going for them as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you want to go, I mean, this is the one, this is the kind, this is all the upsets I, I was, I typically pick because I, I usually pick Belichick in a lot of these situations. You know, Belichick's got a record 31 uh, playoff victories, um, but his quarterback is uh, making his playoff debut. He's been fantastic. Um, you know, he didn't really contribute to their win. You know, they, they, these two teams split during the season, and the, the one that, that was in Buffalo was when the, the, the Patriots had 222 yards rushing, only threw the ball three times. Uh, and then whenever in that second meeting, when Mac Jones was asked to, to participate in this against the Bills, uh, that defense, uh, you know, had its way with him. Um, you know, I, I like the Bills at home. Uh, I would not be surprised if Belichick works his magic and they, and they find a way to do this. But I think, um, you know, that Bills defense and, and, and the Patriots defense is two. Bills defense is one in, in points allowed, but. I, I like the Bills at home. Uh, I like you know, Josh Allen against Belichick's defense as more than I do uh, Matt Jones against Buffalo's putting together on defense now. Sunday's games, the Eagles at Buccaneers and uh, Steelers at Kansas City. Both of those are pretty big spreads, and you've got you like Tampa Bay pretty easily against Philly, but you've got a closer score on the uh, Pittsburgh Kansas City game than my than I might have imagined. Yeah, I just feel you know, I don't know if you know. I mean, obviously, Ross Roethlisberger has all that experience, two Super Bowls. It's his last. Uh, it's his last game, probably. Um, if he, I mean, it's his last season for sure. I mean, you don't you don't go through those last two games the way he did, and yeah, there be any doubt. But um, I just feel like it's a loose team, and, and also the other thing with the Steelers. I mean. Uh, I didn't vote for him for coach of the year, but you could make a case for Mike Tomlin and what, how he got this team into the playoffs. Yeah. I think he had a quote, you know, Tomlin's great with quotes. It was like, we're a broken down team or something like that. And they just kind of did it. And I have a feeling that it's, I just don't, I mean, I know they got blown out when they played them there. It was uh, whatever it was. Uh, I think it was, it was 36 to 10. I 30, think 36 to 10, but I just feel like the Steelers, I, I, I Kansas City's going to win because Kansas city, when they were three and four, they won nine of 10. Uh, Patrick Mahomes became Patrick Mahomes again. Steve Spagnuolo's defense turned it around unlike anything we've seen, uh, except for the, the Bengals game where they kind of played the old style Chiefs <laughs> defense. But uh, I think they're going to win. But I just I just feel like the Steelers are, and Roethlisberger are not going to go out in a blowout. I think they're going to go out 
You know, they're going to be put down uh, fighting. Let's put it that way. The better game that day is San Francisco at Dallas. You like San Francisco? I kind of do, too. It's an upset because San Francisco, a three-point underdog. It does feel like Dallas is one of those teams that's a little bit ripe for an upset, even if they do have that high-powered offense. And this, is to me, is a, if this is an upset, I, if I'm in Green Bay, I'm happy because, to me, the two teams that are going to beat Green Bay, obviously Tampa Bay and I think Dallas. Dallas, if they, if they get some momentum in that first round, uh, I don't you know, if they were to, to meet, whenever, wherever they would meet uh, the Packers, um, I feel like Dallas would be the team, you know, they get the offense rolling and that defense can do so much. Uh, and they got such, you know, they got great pass rushers. They got uh, guys that take the ball away. Uh, so I'm ha- if I'm, if I'm green Bay, I'm hoping for this upset, but I think that the 49ers with their, their running game, the fact that they're healthy, the fact that they got a pass rush with Nick Bosa, um, you know, this is a bad team to play. I think if you're, if you're like one of these favorites and you're at home and it's Jerry world and you're assuming, you know, we're going to, although the point spread isn't that that's wide, but I would assume that everyone in Dallas is like, we just get through them and then on to the next one. This is a, uh, this is a game where you could really stub your toe and get beat by a bunch of bad matchups. And like when the Vikings lost to him, you know, Zimmer coming out and complaining about that, you know, holding and all this stuff. Well, it was just a, physical game that the Vikings could not match up. And that's the kind of fight that you get into when the 49ers are healthy and, uh, and rolling. Yeah. I think they're pretty good right now and they could be a sneaky team to win one, if not a couple, but we'll see how that works out for them. Last one. And then we'll let you go. Monday's game might be the best of the weekend. Cardinals Rams, obviously Cardinals were red hot to start the year. Then they kind of cooled off Rams, a little similar story. They hit, they hit their rough patch, but then they kind of got going a little more as well. I, I have a hard time figuring out how this game will go just because both teams have had their share of consistency problems, but you do like the Cardinals to, uh, to pull this one out. Yeah. Again, it's, a, I, I mean, imagine the pressure that is on the Rams right now. What they did, the trade that they made for a guy who at, at Matthew Stafford's age, all those number one picks, all the things that they've done to push it all in to win this particular Super Bowl at their home stadium, and you know, like like the Buccaneers did last year. Uh, and, and granted, he did it with the Lions, but you know the, the immense pressure that's on Matthew Stafford, the guy who's zero three in the playoffs, uh, hasn't played. You know, he's had some stinkers down the stretch here. You know, he's won a couple of them, including the Vikings. That was a terrible game by him. Uh, and then you got the Cardinals. Yeah, again, it's one of those where. They're, the momentum stinks because they they're one and four. They're they're kind of the the the, uh, the team with the least amount of momentum coming in. They're the, the coldest team coming in. So it's another one of those. You know, it could be a flip flop where you know they the pressure is on the Rams and you got and you got Kyler Murray. Even in the game that they lost, Kyler Murray had a good game. He did throw the two interceptions, um, but you know he's going to be a guy that's going to be really fun to watch in the playoffs, especially whenever. Um, he has to do something special to, against that defense to, uh, you know, to, to beat him. So it, I, I like Kyler Murray in this game, and, I, and I, I just I see the Rams not holding up to the pressure. Some good games for sure. We'll see how they all shake out. You know, Green Bay sitting there kind of waiting for whoever comes next. Same with Tennessee, and so we'll see how those matchups come about next week as well. We'll get you back on to talk about those and 
We'll see where the Vikings searches are at that point as well next week, Mark. All right. Thank you. Like Mark and I talked about, it should be a good weekend of games. Looking forward to watching. It's kind of, you know, some years, you know, I think Vikings fans maybe tune out on the NFL a little bit once the Vikings are eliminated. I'm just kind of looking forward to watching some playoff football this weekend and having some stress-free games where I don't have any uh, anything to watch for either personally or professionally. Let's talk a little bit too about Andrew Kramer wrote a five uh, look took a look at five free agents the Vikings uh, have decisions to make on this offseason. Uh, Patrick Peterson, Anthony Barr, Sheldon Richardson, Tyler Conklin, and Xavier Woods. All interesting cases, all big questions, uh, you know, whether they want to stay and what the new regime will think of all of them. I think Sheldon Richardson would be an interesting one to try to keep given the versatility he offered this season. And, you know, a guy like Patrick Peterson, if you don't re-sign him, who is going to play corner Tyler Conklin would be another one that would be nice to see back here in a different role, hopefully when Irv Smith Jr. is healthy. Anthony Barr, got to see them moving on from him, and probably Xavier Woods as well, given that Cam Bynum looks like he can be a player. But that's just my thoughts. We'll see what the new regime has in store for those players and, whether, like I said, whether they want to come back as well. Let's finish with the cooler. Some good Minnesota hockey news. Kirill Kaprizov and Cam Talbot named All-Stars for the Wild. Got to admit, Talbot was a bit of a surprise to me. Goals against average and save percentage more towards the bottom of the league than the top. But good for Kaprizov, good for Talbot. Bigger story, nine players with Minnesota Connections going to play for the U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. Obviously, it was going to be the pros for a long time, but they pulled out not too long ago, and now all of a sudden a bunch of college players, three Gophers, some other guys in the state getting a chance to play in the Olympics. Pretty cool for them. Will be a pretty cool story. Um, Don't know if they can rekindle the miracle on ice magic, but we will see an amazing opportunity for them nonetheless. So kudos to all nine of those guys. That will do it for today. That will do it for this week. Back at it next week with a bunch of good stuff. I'm sure some of it will focus on the Vikings and that continued search for a general manager and a head coach, but some other surprises in store for you as well. Have a great weekend. We'll be back at it again on Monday.